Welcome to episode 23 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbule. Today, my special guest is Jason Bullitt from Gulfstream Park, and we discuss races from the Pegasus card this past Saturday. Some of the angles we discuss is a maiden winner finally fulfilling his early promise, how handicappers can benefit from a pace meltdown, and a turf winner who probably paid more than he should have. This is Redboard Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Jason Blewett. Jason, how are you doing today? Hey, Spencer. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Excited to talk about these wonderful races from the weekend at Gulfstream. How was your overall weekend with Pegasus? Oh, it was great, man. It was, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's an intense uh, week and even lead up to the uh, Pegasus more so than uh, as great as the Florida Derby is and our other big races down here during the wintertime. Uh, uh, Pegasus is absolutely its own animal. So it was uh, there was a lot going on before and then up through the post-draw with Acacia and I that we hosted on Wednesday. But I'm glad that even getting into Saturday, uh, it was a great, great day of uh, racing. With I mean, the weather was, was picture perfect. Uh, the betting was great, and uh, most importantly, everybody everybody stayed upright and safe and sound. So that was the uh, main thing. And it was, uh, you know, I uh, as I was leaving Gulfstream with my wife uh, late Saturday, uh, there was that sort of sigh of relief. But it was uh, that it's over, of course. But it was it was really great. It really was. So just a quick question, just kind of a softball question: What's your process when you're handicapping a horse race from top to bottom? Uh, I think, I mean, my, my method of choice, uh, in fact, my only method, as far as, uh, I'm talking just straight up past performances are concerned. I am a huge, huge proponent and, uh, and fan of the, uh, daily racing form formulator and just their, just their classic PPs. I don't use anything else. Um, I will, uh, you know, grab while looking at a race and after, after just, I guess how most players would traditionally, you know, dope out a race. I'll check out Timeform US and and look at their pace projector, which I find is is, is pretty helpful to double check my work and to see how uh, how I might envision the pace if 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 we see eye to eye in that. But I'd say my first real rule of thumb when handicapping a horse race. I mean, obviously, I'm glancing at the horses, but I'd say maybe my first run through is even more so looking at what trainers are involved. Because to me, and this has been the case for, boy, last decade, 15 years, I to me, everything falls in line after the trainer. I just think the barn and who's involved in this day and age is, to me anyway, it's the most important thing and, you know, most important sort of pre-race angle. I 100% agree. Now, with certain trainers down in South Florida, obviously you did, you did work with Zyra for a long time. Was it hard switching over, like trying to learn all the new tendencies? Did you feel like it took you longer than you thought, or it took not too long because you still kind of followed the circuit 
from a far away? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great question. And in hindsight, and I guess even going through the process, maybe the first few months I was down here, I mean, I'm coming up on, on three years already. You know, I got fired from uh, Naira on January 5th of 2017. So it's just crazy how fast time flies. And I started at Gulfstream uh, Kentucky Derby Week of 2017. Um, and it probably... You know, because I had been like a casual viewer of Gulfstream during even the winter months. Summer, I could admit it, didn't pay any attention to the summer, maybe outside of like the Smile and the Princess Rooney. Um, so that was certainly a uh, newfound territory with me. It took, you know, I remember thinking going through, say, my first three, four, five months down here and not getting frustrated, but I think it took a little longer for me than maybe I anticipated to get a real lay of the land as far as learning the year-round mainstays as far as the trainers and to a lesser extent the jockeys down here. And what really took uh, the most time, and maybe it's a, a, a factor of also getting a, a little older, I'm no longer in my 20s and 30s, it, you know, just learning the horse population took, I'd say, a good six months or so. However, you know, the beauty of starting fresh essentially on a brand new circuit was, you know, it was a neat challenge just to begin with, but I also was very appreciative that all that stuff I had learned basically just, you know, working at Naira and following New York racing for close to 20 years, you know, it was like that, that extensive toolbox and all the people that I was lucky enough to work with and learn from, I got to apply all those skills to a brand new circuit. So it was like you had sort of, like the base knowledge, but it was neat getting to learn again, you know, a, a circuit that, I mean, outside of a little here and there in the winter time, I didn't pay much attention to. What do you say we get started with these races, Jason? The first race we're going to cover is race two at Gulfstream. It's the maiden special weight, mile and 16th on the dirt for three-year-olds. What's your thought process when doing maiden races for just straight three-year-olds compared to four-year-olds and up? That, that's a pretty good question. I'd say my rule of thumb is, I mean, more or less, I think you're going to encounter just the reality when you're dealing with like a three-year-old restricted maiden special at this time of the year or through, say, the first three, four months of a new season, as opposed to an older maiden special weight. You know, you're going to be dealing with horses that have had less career starts, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I don't think I have any sort of like crazy you know, out-of-this-world strategy when looking at, at this time of the year, just a three-year-old restricted maiden special weight race. I mean, you're looking at the basic stuff, I think, off the bat. You're looking, obviously, at horses, I think, first and foremost, that have raced already and whether they've been factors or not and how many races they've had under their belt. Um, and then you're going to be looking at the first-time starters, uh, obviously the trainer involved, the pedigrees, and what those horses uh, sold for. And I think as time has gone on, and the amount of just uh, information that's available, it is nice having not only a formulator and, uh, you know, to look up pedigrees and stuff like that, and even Equibase to look at, you know, uh, prior auction purchases and prices to see if horses sold maybe twice or three times before they're, they're actually showing up in their first career race. You've also got XBTV with the workouts. So I think it's a, sort of just a, a real sort of blender mix of all those angles thrown together. 
where did you end up going or uh, trying to go in race two? Well, as far as the second race was concerned, I attacked it more or less. The third horse I encountered was the morning line favorite, the number three, Candy Tycoon, who, you know, may have had a tad bit of infamy going back to New York over the summertime, considering I would imagine, and word does travel pretty fast in general in this day and age, but maybe even more so still as far as the racetrack is concerned. And going back to the day he debuted at Saratoga Candy Tycoon in mid-August, August 17th, uh, word got down here that Todd Fletcher had had a, you know, a two-year-old firster by Twirling Candy who was just an absolute monster. Well, the story goes, as you know, he lost that race at four to five, lost the second start at three to five, and and he wound up in Saturday's second race at Gulfstream 0 for 4 as a three-time beat nods on favorite. So when I encountered him, my immediate thought and reaction was, well, I got to find at least, if not one, multiple horses that are going to be able to beat him because he he's probably going to be favored and he's going to be a bad price. So that was that was my plan of attack in in looking at the second race. What I found strange is you said that you thought he would go off as the favorite, and he actually didn't end up going off the favorite. That was the five tons of gold for Irad Ortiz and Alexis Delgado. The, mm-hmm. main, the main thing that I didn't understand in this race is the buyer part is an 83. I talked about it on past shows. I usually lower it about five, six points, depending on if it's a route or a sprint. So with it being a route, it would be about a 77. Nobody really had run anywhere near that number. So to take such mm-hmm. a price on a horse, even tons of gold, I was also, like you said, very surprised to see Candy Tycoon move up in odds to around seven to two. What are your thoughts on when the uh, favorites, the morning line favorites go up in odds? Is it a negative to you or is it a positive? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's another good question. And I guess that really depends on a race to race basis. Um, I find... I'm trying to word this uh, diplomatically. I don't, I don't put just in this day and age. I just, for me anyway, I try not to look at the morning line all that much. I certainly don't, and I'm usually working. I mean, I'm on deadline for the program. So by the time my work is done, you know, I'm not even seeing an official morning line. I mean, my work's done before I'm even looking or glancing potentially at the morning line price. But I, I find, especially if you're dealing, you know, on some circuits, let's let's be honest here, the morning line, and I'm not saying this is necessarily true for Florida or Gulfstream, but, you know, looking around and if I'm playing some simulcast, I find a lot of morning lines just aren't that accurate. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I my rule of thumb is I don't want to see the morning line. It's like I have my opinion of the race. And I'll look to see, obviously, how it's bet and all that stuff. But if I am going to look at the line, it's going to be before all the prior work is done. Because if it's inaccurate, I don't want it to influence my opinion. And I'm sure that's happened to all of us where maybe you don't like a horse, but you go, oh, you know, he's two to one on the line. And, you know, right or wrongly, I guess in many cases, wrongly, you upgrade that horse because you see a shorter price on him. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I know people sometimes will just cross out the morning line in their programs when they walk through the door at Saratoga. For me, I try I try and download off Formulator as soon as PPs are available. That way, there is no morning yeah. line. If there's a yeah. horse that I'm a little bit, you know, uh, interested or want to do a query on, I'll see what the morning line comes up. 
for certain tracks, I just don't even care because the morning line is so wonky. You know, Naira is very good with Aragona. You know, Gulfstream okay. Churchill is good. But so you, I know you had said that with Candy Tycoon that you were trying to beat the horse. What horse did you end up going to? Well, it's funny because this was really sort of a mind game. So I get to Candy Tycoon, and again, I just figured, didn't know if he'd be favored per se, but looking at him with the exposed form, and here's the linchpin, which complicated things in my mind. I I really like Gimme Samo in this race, the other Todd Fletcher horse, uh, who had been talked about and tipped out as a runner down here right after Christmas when he debuted, and he ran poorly. I mean, just was completely empty, had more or less like your typical traditional Gulfstream three, you know, that sort of tracking outside speed in the clear, like that the Fletcher horses tend to pull. And he was completely empty. And it was me more or less having a leap of faith that being by Uncle Mo and the fact that he debuted at a mile that he'd improve in his second start, what complicated matters in my mind, and maybe to a, an extent, maybe a, even though I picked Give me some more. I bet him and I liked him. I was still a little worried that Johnny V, who rode Gimme Samo and Candy Tycoon, was getting back aboard a horse in Candy Tycoon, who had already lost three times as an odds-on beaten favorite. So that that maybe put a little chink in my confidence with Gimme Samo. That I'm assuming. I mean, you don't know these things, but I would have to think Johnny had had first call on both, and he obviously chose chose candy tycoon but my plan of attack was this is a great spot and i guess kind of goes back to what you were saying with the buyer par that nobody with experience in this race really blew you out of the water i was thinking there was a good chance jimmy samo was going to improve a large amount in his second start for me once i saw candy tycoon going up in odds i definitely didn't want tons of gold at, at uh five to two Gimme Samo was pretty much the same exact price. Candy Tycoon had run faster figures. He had also shown the affinity to be up close on the pace. So for me, it was Candy Tycoon. For you, it was Gimme Samo. Let's check out this race call from Pete Aiello to see who won the race. And they're off. Picture perfect beginning. From the inside, Candy Tycoon and Embrace My Uncle, the first two to get underway. Gimme Samo moves three wide and is up to challenge. Jack's Advantage Park five wide while working over. Widest of all around the first turn was Liberty Blue. Saving ground is Extreme Force while a bit keen. Tons of gold is between horses. They're followed by Holy Emperor, third last. Elusive Rulers in no hurry. He's second last. And the newcomer Trove is last of the ten. And he's about nine or so off the lead of Candy Tycoon. Candy Tycoon into the backstretch on top of the barn buddy. Gimme Samo from second. At the inside, Embrace My Uncle follows along in third. Extreme forces between horses. Jack's Advantage still parked wide on the course. Likewise for Liberty Blue. Tons of gold is just behind the top flight runners. A length and a half better than Holy Emperor. Then back to Elusive Ruler. And Trove remains at the back of the field behind an opening quarter of 23 and 2 and a half mile and 48 seconds flat. They go to the first finish line with Candy Tycoon leading Gimme Samo three parts of a length. Up on the outside in Jack's advantage, let go for a run. Four wide out there, Liberty Blue into the top flight. Down at the inside, Embrace My Uncle, passed by tons of gold. Then Extreme Force and Holy Emperor, four clear of Elusive Ruler. And Trove has been last throughout as they run around the far turn. It's the Pletcher trainees who have hooked up in a big battle. Candy Tycoon on the inside, Gimme Samo on the outside. They've quickened nicely clear of the rest, led by tons of gold and Holy Emperor. 
Emperor. From the back and coming on is Elusive Ruler, and they're at the top of the stretch. On the inside, it's Candy Tycoon. On the outside, and Gimme Samo. Shoulder to shoulder for Barn Bragging Rights with an eighth of a mile left to get. And Candy Tycoon starts to assert his superiority as he's opened a three-length lead. Gimme Samo has run a great race, but he's only second best to Candy Tycoon. Candy Tycoon won by four in the end. Gimme Samo was second, Elusive Ruler third, then tons of gold, and Holy Emperor to complete the high five. And Candy Tycoon gets it done. Johnny V in the Irons pays 880 with a solid 83 buyer. Jason, what are your thoughts after watching the race? He is, I think, that race Saturday, I almost view Candy Tycoon as that was like version 2.0. Uh, of him because he was obviously not only did he obviously win but between the figure and the fact that he drew away convincingly I mean he it really wasn't close in the end with him pouring it on that you go all right he had failed in his four previous races and obviously had been a massive disappointment to the betting public and I'm sure his connections would say it was frustrating with a horse who had obviously trained like a good horse in the morning and wasn't getting it done so he's a far better horse than I originally thought going into Saturday than he might be and and you know could be a case there Spencer where in the end he was just crying out for a two-turn dirt race that was his first start on the dirt anyway going around two turns now your top choice give me some mo did run a 77 which hits the buyer par so it to me when I always pick like the second horse as long as the horse ran to a competitive number I might have just gotten beat by a horse that like we had said, like if it was going to be nine to five had beaten, had been beaten three times under odds on, like you're supposed to be trying to beat those horses. So everyone who would complain like, Oh, I'm just, what a terrible pick. That wasn't it, like people who pick those types of horses that end up like that. It's a pick. It just didn't end up being a winner. Yeah. Second best. And uh, he's probably a horse. Although uh, I think he went off three and a half to one. Uh, Give me some more when it was all said and done. I mean, significantly lower again this goes back to me just not wanting to look at the morning line i mean he was six to one he basically went off half that price he he'll be a fraction of that three and a half come come the next time he runs for todd if there's one horse though i could give a mention to outside of the pletcher duo that was first and second out of that race and it might ultimately turn out to be a horse who's going to be a little better on turf per se but i thought the eighth holy emperor ran a sneaky good race. He didn't finish in the top three. In fact, he faded and got tired after the far turn. But he struck me, and he was a first-time starter for Jimmy Jerkins, by Street Sense, for Stronach and Javier on Saturday. It looked like he was having a real miserable time getting hit with a lot of kickback early and, and was climbing. But he launched like a utterly strong four-wide run on the far turn. He... If I'm going to bet back anybody out of that race or keep my eye on somebody outside of the winner who might be okay, I'm thinking Holy Emperor might be a good horse to follow out of that second race. Now, one last question on that. Would you, is it better if you see him on turf or are you, are you okay to bet him back on dirt as well? You know, I'm thinking uh, I bet him back on, on dirt, although my gut feeling with the street sense and the ghost zapper. I have a feeling he might wind up on, on turf in his second start. And if he does, that's going to be a real go time. I, I put it this way. I'd like him on the dirt, but I think turf is, is going to be his home when he runs second time out for Jimmy. 
let us move on to race number nine. It was the inside information, a grade two, seven furlongs on the dirt. Seemed like there was a lot of speed in here. Spice Perfection coming back off of her perfect trip in the Gopher Wand. Pink Sands, who loves Gulfstream, and Wildwood Beach, who had been beating up on Florida Breads, but now gets her first chance in a graded stake. What were your thoughts, Jason? Yeah. No, no, really, really good field. I mean, first and foremost, I want to put this out there. Uh, Inside Information, who the race is obviously named after, easily, easily a top five Philly slash mayor of my lifetime of uh, being a racing fan since the summer of 1993. Uh, Go Sky Beauty, Heavenly Prize, Serena Song, and Inside Information. They're my top four. So just need having a race named after one of your favorite horses. Uh, at the track you're working at and a uh, big field number of different layers to the race with 12 in the uh, in the field but i mean clearly once you saw the presence of the road warrior spice perfection it was like she was when i looked at this race she was off by herself and then it was a question of well do i think because her resume and body of work obviously has been so solid and she's been able to travel and ship all over the country it was well does anybody you know will the pace be fast because she's more of a feel-good high cruising speed horse will she maybe you know if if there is a chink in the armor is it because she gets involved to a, a fast pace or were there some other horses in there that were maybe still very much on the improve like a Nona Madeline or a Blaine uh, for Todd Fletcher and Bill Mott respectively um, so that was really my thinking going in. You had Spice Perfection just by herself, and whether it was race dynamics or maybe some other individual horses being able to improve off their prior form, would they be able to make a race of it um, against a very classy uh, cowbred uh, mare in Spice Perfection? I think the coolest thing about for me for Spice Perfection is, even if you look three back, six by five and a half, and then just the last race, she stretched out to a mile. Now she's on the lead, elevate, slow pace. But horses that can have the multitude of, I can win from off the pace, I can win from stalking, I can win on the lead. Th- those are just the type of horses that do become these, you know, multiple-time grade stake winners. Now, when you look at the pace, I saw a lot of speed. And my first opinion was Wildwood Beauty was going to get the nice trip before all the deep closers come. And Leperu is done okay at the meet 14 percent scott becker only eight percent but just the horse against uh florida breads has had races that can easily win this race i didn't necessarily after looking and and deliberating i didn't pick wildwood beauty but i mean and i've watched her i mean this is a horse i know pretty well now and uh, watching her evolution and her sort of 2019 coming out party where she just seemed to get better and better and better while spending in class. She was a, an interesting, uh, an interesting horse in here for sure. And uh, it was a similar kind of a different looking horse, but in my mind, it was a similar situation with a, with a Philly, like the number six Nona Madeline for, for Todd and Johnny uh, considering. And in hindsight, I mean, she showed obviously quality as a two year old and, I mean, in this day and age, you've got a two-year-old maiden winner with a good pedigree and top connections. There aren't that many allowance races for two-year-olds, if any, in the summer. You're going to be running in graded stakes, especially if you're in New York. So they had run her in the Skyler Bill and the Spinaway and the Frisette. And look, in 2020 hindsight, I think Jaywalk for that campaign was very good. 
wasn't like as a whole she was running against this outstanding group and class of two-year-old fillies. As time went on, I think we got a little more evidence that that was the case. However, she had been off for a long time and returned here. I mean, Spencer, you probably liked the way she looked in her uh, in her comeback race on December 20th. That was a really nice effort. The one negative for her that I would give was that she was on the lead with the blue fractions from time form. So I usually try to digress and give the buyer a little bit of a bump down. So I thought maybe she ran more like an 80, but I, and usually Todd and Johnny sometimes will get over bet at Gulfstream. Another horse that caught my mind was uh, Pink Sands, uh, three for four at Gulfstream. If you just look at the last race, the 91, coming off of the race in the pumpkin pie where she did run third. I just thought this horse, it really executes the horse for course angle you read about in handicapping books all the time. Yeah. I sometimes think like just talking to people and stuff that that horse for course phrase gets, just gets overused a lot. It's like one of those like value at the track. It's like, stop, 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 stop. And believe me, I don't profess to being a know-it-all by any stretch of the imagination. But, yeah, no, it is – there's something to have been before the race to consider with Pink Sands, the fact that she had been good at Gulfstream. And I got news for you, and this was something I had touched upon in the, you know, in the pre-race lead-up on the air with Ronnie and Acacia. Her win last out, the Rampart, not only came up fast as far as, as buyer's concerned, that was a legitimately good effort against a really – solid horse this field was probably a little better in fact it was better but she cut down a, a quality horse in cookie dough who brought her a game and ran her a race so yeah there was um you know the combination of pink sands off in a uh in off a very strong recent effort over the gp main and even if you thought like me spice perfection might be up close to a pace that was sizzling i thought she'd probably win but you had to respect Pink Sands thinking that she was, although a deep closer, one that was going to be win, lose, or draw, really cranking up with a big run off the far turn. So, Jason, who was your top pick? I know you talked Nona Madeline and Spice Perfection. Did you end up going the six or to the I went, I went with Spice Perfection. Her body of work, and again, the fact that she had from uh, California to Kentucky to New York, uh, that's what won me over. Won me over in the end for Barn and Trader Peter Miller. Obviously, he's a uh, top level, uh, you know, uh, trainer out on the West Coast. We don't see a lot of him uh, in this part of the country, so it was nice to uh, interview him and meet him personally. And he had already picked up a winner on the uh, card earlier in the day with uh, Texas Wedge in the World of Trouble Turf Sprint. So I was I was pretty confident that Spice Perfection would get it done in the inside information. Let's see if Jason's top pick, Spice Perfection, can get it done, or if I can get one with Wildwood Beauty, Pete Aiello, with the call. And they're off in the inside information. It was a good start out the rail for Liza Starr. Blamed has speed. Heaven has my Nikki not far away. Splitting horses in Wildwood's beauty as they exit the chute. The big favorite, Spice Perfection, is off the speed while about four lengths behind. On her outside goes our super freak. Note aloud, Madeline is beat for speed today and rushes up in traffic with Baccarat fashion toward the rail. Then it's back to Bronx Beauty and stretch running Pink Sands is at the back as they head to the half mile point. JP's delight from between horses. Liza Star along the rail. Blamed is three wide. A bit of both is with them. In tight between horses and Wildwood's beauty. Then Nona Madeline in Baccarat fashion. Spice Perfection will have to get into the clear, but she's rallying now. Only three lengths 
Chase off the lead. Three clear of our Super Freak. That's all for Heaven Has My Nikki. Passed by Pink Sands and Bronx Beauty tries to rally from the back as they round the far turn. Many chances here as Blamed comes away with the lead, immediately tackled by a bit of both, who are both about to be engaged by Spice Perfection on the outside. Quarter of a mile left to go. Spice Perfection charging in a bit of both off the turn. Wildwood's Beauty. The Florida Bred's on the stand side and up the challenge. Nona Madeline is at the rail. There's an eighth of a mile to go and Spice Perfection is the leader. Down the center, Wildwood's Beauty. Pink Sands is lifting late. Nona Madeline at the inside. Here's Pink Sands from way out of it. And Shawin going away. Pink Sands for Shook McGahee and the inside information over Wildwood's Beauty second. Close for third. Either Nona Madeline or Spice Perfection. And Pink Sands gets it done paying 1260 92 buyer improves one point over the rampart victory jason what do you think about that performance uh that was the best race pink sands has ever run to date and uh you know i look at her in the mold of just one of these and she was a solid four-year-old and all that don't get me wrong but she's just one of these mares now uh, you know an older horse for shug who is just I mean, really starting to fire on all cylinders. And, and certainly, uh, it's a tough game, life's tough, all that stuff. It was nice when things aligned the way they did with Pink Sands. And I didn't have her on top or anything like that. And I had singled Spice Perfection in my late pick five. But there was a large part of me going, you know, that was pretty sweet seeing Shug win the inside information considering he trained her 20-plus years ago to that Hall of Fame uh, resume. I think with Spice Perfection, if when you watch the race replay, she kind of looms up, but then she just kind of gets not stuck. Stuck in is the wrong word. It's just that you could tell that the pace was hot and that she just was going to get caught in the end. Pink stands. I mean, when a horse like that can explode, they'll still win by three lengths. That's something special. Yeah, it was fun to watch her. I mean, really turn into a top class mare. And clearly, although this one was a grade two, um, you know, off the top of my head trying to think of some of the better i mean you have Cafefe, obviously uh but some of the uh, older phillies and mares i'm not sure up and down the east coast between new york who's in the mix uh pink sands looks like a you know a late running uh top class sprinter slash miler for shug and she was very good on saturday and although spice perfection and maybe in hindsight did she move a tad too soon it looked like javier was so confident and then when he set her down, she kicked on and then just flattened out a bit. But and uh, I think she's a better horse than what she showed on Saturday. And maybe at the end of the day, she's a tad better going seven or six as opposed to a, to a mile. Or I should say going maybe six, six and a half as opposed to seven. Uh, I'll tell you, man, Spencer, good call with Wildwood Beauty because she ran. She ran awesome. That was the best race she's ever run. And I thought Julian just rode her perfectly because she didn't have the clear, like the smoothest or, or clearest trip. She had to take back and, and jerk out from behind horses on the far turn. No, and it was really nice to see in her first grade stake effort. I'm hoping to see her again in the grade stake. Hopefully we'll get a little bit better on the odds. Maybe we'll get like six to one or so. That would be a sweet spot for me. Any other horses trip-wise? Pace-wise, you'd want to bet back out of this, Jason, before we get on to the... Now, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I thought Nona Madeline actually ran okay. She was in that first flight, just chasing between, kind of covered up between. And uh, she kicked on and, I guess, you know, rallied somewhat mildly. She might still be a, 
uh, a project, sort of a forthcoming project for Todd Fletcher. I don't think she's hit her ceiling yet, but as far as uh, uh, watching Wildwood Beauty, I mean, uh, Spencer, the beauty of her is, I mean, uh, literally and figuratively, uh, you've got, she's also a Florida bred, so you've got mm-hmm. that safety net of Florida bred restricted races, which we run a decent amount down here throughout the spring and summer. And she, to me, considering she's a local local filly, seems like a horse that's probably the long-range, way long-range goal with her would be the Princess Rooney here over the summer as part of the summer to speed at Gulfstream. What do you say, Jason? We get on to the penultimate race. It was the Pegasus World Cup turf invitational, one and three sixteenth miles on the turf. Everyone wanted to talk about Magic Wand coming in. I, like JK, I'm not the biggest fan of Magic Wand. I just, obviously, she's raced against the best of the best, a lot of seconds. It just wasn't a horse that I really wanted at that type of price, also being on the way outside. What were your thoughts? Uh, I had a, a similar reaction to you in dealing with Magic Wand. I certainly respect her, and it's been in a day and age when it seems like a lot of our top horses, be it especially on the dirt, but I guess on the turf as well. You know, a lot of our good handicap horses that you, you would love to watch, you know, run, you would love to watch compete every, say, six weeks. They run four times a year. It's pretty incredible, and it was going into the Pegasus turf, seeing the kind of, even it being one for 12 last year, which was the case of, of Magic Wand, watching her just trot all over the, the globe in grade ones and group ones and run against the best of the best. But there was still that that inkling that, you know, the bottom line was she was three for 22. So a little tough maybe to pull the trigger on the win end, although as far as potentially second, third, and fourth playing exactus and tries, in my mind, she was a must-use. But I think the lack of wins with her and the fact that all her races, all at a super high level, all had that kind of eerie-looking the same feel and look to them. I my uh, my plan of attack was to try to find somebody to finish in front of her, even although I was pretty convinced she'd hit the board. The horse I ended up on was the number ten Mo Forza. I just thought young four year old, loved to hit the board. Just didn't quite have the numbers yet, but I thought with improvement. And it was only it was his first time out as a four year old. I thought maybe we get that nice little jump into a low mid hundred. That would definitely be good enough to win in this race. Where did you end up going on top? I wound up, and I looked at this race for a while, and I, in my mind and in my heart, this is the honest truth, I really felt maybe it was a 60-40 split with, with, without parole, the number three for Chad, whether this horse would be able to stay the distance. I felt as though going in, and what won me over was if there was anybody on one day at the highest level that could get a horse that maybe was running just a tad further than his sweet spot, it was going to be Chad. And I think of just, again, just to name one horse, I, I was thinking of like day at the spa, how he got her to win the Philly and Mary turf. I know she set a slow pace and all that, but at a distance outside of her comfort zone, but the, that was a check mark on the, on the positive side of the ledger. I really though was wondering how he would stay the trip off that Breeders' Cup mile because he had mm-hmm. such a good ride in that race. I mean, he obviously, a rod rode him perfectly, and he was able to save so much ground. And it, my dilemma with him, and in the end, the Chad factor won out for me with, without parole, was 
was it a case of without parole? Kind of just sucking up for third. It was a good effort, don't get me wrong, in the BC mile. But did he, because he never threatened Nooney or got stormy. And if you watch that race again, he rolled by a lot of horses that were just simply spent to his inside. But like I said, I figured if I need one guy on just for just one race to get a horse to really stretch out beyond his comfort zone, uh, give me give me a little Chad with the horse who was obviously had some Group One quality overseas. Let us see if without parole can get in the winner's circle for Jason, or if Mo Forza can improve for me. Pete Aiello with the race call of the Pegasus. And they're off in the Pegasus World Cup turf. Some crowding in the center gates, and Sadler's Joy took the worst of it and drops back to last. From the far outside, it's the world traveler, Magic Wand, who begins very nicely and moves for an early lead at the inside and moving up as instilled regards. Zulu Alpha's in very tight, and Zulu Alpha's going to have to tap on the brakes. Henley's Joy moves into the top flight. Sacred Life is on his outside. Very wide will be Mo Forza. Mo Forza's going to be out in the five or six lane here in the charge of the first turn. From the outside to the inside, it's Magic Wand who got over under Ryan Moore to lead three parts of a length over Henley's Joy who races from second. Down at the inside, an instilled regard alongside Sacred Life. Next shares is with them. In the two-path, Tory has without parole only two and a half lengths off the lead. Mo Forza had no alternative but to go very wide on the first turn. Zulu Alpha is saving ground with admission office between horses. Arklow is third last. Channel Cat is second last. And Sadler's Joy is last as they try to back it down mid-race. The opening quarter was 24 seconds flat. The half mile was 48 and 2. Less than 5 furlongs to go in the Pegasus turf. Magic Wand carving out the numbers. Henley's Joy is second. Next shares is third. Instilled Regard patiently handled fourth and in between horses without parole. Sacred Life and Mo Forza both wide. Mo Forza in the four path on the far turn. Followed by Arklow. Then Zulu Alpha and Admission Office. Channel Cats at the back alongside Sadler's Joy as they round the far turn. Up front. The leader is still Magic Wand by an neck. Henley's Joy gets first run at her, moving up on the far outside in Mo Forza. Next shares is next. Instilled Regard cries for racetrack. Zulu Alpha follows him, and they're at the top of the stretch. With the advantage, it's still Magic Wand. Ryan Moore sets her down for the drive, and she leads by a length and a half. Zulu Alpha trying to come up the fence, and here he comes now. Zulu Alpha under a rail-skimming ride from Florida boy Tyler Gathleone, and he is your Pegasus turf winner, beating Magic Wand and Instilled Regard. It's a photo for fourth involving Sacred Life, Arkle and Sadler's Joy. Zulu Alpha from the rail gets it done at 11 to 1, paying 25.60. Well, Jason, that was a surprise. It was a surprise, and uh, it was a pretty sweet win. Uh, one of the real uh, positives, there's been many, believe me, but one of the neat things about having moved down here close to three years ago and uh, and starting anew at a brand new track and circuit is getting and has been becoming very friendly with a lot of the horsemen and jockeys down here that race at Gulfstream and Gulfstream West uh, throughout a 12-month schedule. And I uh, consider Tyler a very good and, and close buddy of mine. So to see a kid uh, and I'll use the word kid here because I'm a little, I'm getting old and a little older than he is by uh, by a little less than 20 years. It was really cool seeing Tyler winning a race of that magnitude at a track he was probably being pushed around in when he was in a stroller because his dad and uncle were both jockeys. It's crazy when you look back at it because as soon as this race ended, I was like, how did I miss this horse? Five straight hundred buyers and just, 
obviously, I guess the rail might have been a thing, but it's Michael Maker going long on the turf. I mean, how did, how did we both miss this horse? I know. I, I felt like I blew it there to an extent as well. And I am just, and this was this has been the case, not just down in Florida, because uh, he runs here year-round, but in New York. I am just a huge, huge, huge proponent of trainer Mike Maker. And on the turf, off the top of my head, if you were like, quick, give me your top two American trainers in turf racing, I'm going Chad, and I'm putting Maker second. Um, he's just, just so good on the grass. And, I mean, the poise Tyler showed with Zulu Alpha on Saturday, in hindsight, was just, it was pretty incredible because if you watch the race, that far turn run, he's down inside saving ground, but he was basically following instilled regard who had a rod, and a rod clearly had a ton of horse, but uh, Tyler did not panic, and he didn't like look to just jerk the horse outside and try to split horses or anything like that. A rod was the one who, in hindsight, made the right decision, was able to kind of go from the pocket to that three to four wide angle spot at the top of the stretch, and I mean... Tyler just flipped right up into the spot in Silver Guard had been in. And when uh, when the mayor, when Magic Wand drifted a bit, there you go. I mean, you got like a textbook dream ride in a million-dollar race from a local kid down here. So it was just a great ride and a, and a very awesome result. Well, that is just about all the time we have today, Jason. Where can people find you on social media? I am on Twitter at Jason Blewett, that's B as in boy, L-E-W-I-T-T, 3030, which was my number in high school and college lacrosse and is also the number of uh, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, perhaps my favorite New York Ranger of all time. And uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, the Gulfstream Park uh, racing feed each and every day we run down here and appreciate everybody listening. And and it was really uh, fun, uh, Spencer, going over the card. I will tell you this from the bottom of my heart. I had Andy Sterling on a couple of weeks ago. I have now had you on. I pretty much hit my dream exact growing up uh, watching you guys on Naira. really made me become a racing fan. I really appreciate all you've done for uh, the sport of horse racing and to uh, help me in my career. No, that's uh, amazing to hear. No, Andy and I uh, made a, a really, really great team. We had a number of uh, excellent years together, learned a lot from sitting next to him just as far as, handicapping and how to watch a race intelligently and uh yeah just happy to be able to promote uh the sport i love uh, more than anything essentially and i'm glad you're doing well spencer and i i'm definitely uh, wishing you all the best as you move forward in your career but a real nice job talking uh with you and a, and a great job hosting this podcast we will talk soon jason thanks so much all right anytime pal Thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show and my special guest, Jason Blewett. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.